so many politicians on the Discernible interviews, but this one I am particularly fond of because he's my local representative in the Victorian Lower House Legislative Assembly. Well done getting there. Good Thanks. Week. We don't have many in there. We've got uh, <laughs> 20? 20, well, yeah, 21. Out of 88. Out of 88, yeah. Plus include another six nats. Must feel a bit lonely in there. It can do, it can do. It's very hard to see after an election, your friends that you've worked with over four years or longer, mm. um, not there anymore. This is Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith is the member for, is it called Warrandyte? Yeah. Trip? Member for Warrandyte, really nice place in the northeast of Melbourne. We're gonna talk about who he is, why he got into politics, and that's really what, you know, I'm not so much interested in, in getting Labour or Liberal in here to push their policies, although we will talk policy. I'm interested in why they do what they do. And I think if we can have a better understanding of who they are, why they've come to be here, then we can make an informed decision when we vote for them. And by golly, are we going to be voting you guys in in two years? I hope that's right. I've voted Labour before, all yeah. right? It's just that um, I think you guys have never been more relevant than you are now. Well, I think that's true. I think there's a lot of reason for people to be looking at the alternatives. I mean, we've had a situation over the last six months where I think no Premier has been so front and centre to the public before. You know, there's, you know, they lauded as a great thing that he stood up for 120 odd days in successive <laughs> interviews. I mean, my argument would be if there was a less, a less of a trail <laughs> of destruction from the second wave, he wouldn't need to stand up so often. But mm. the reality is a lot of Victorian, a lot of Victorians tuned into him on a daily basis mm. um, and they got an understanding of who he is. Mm. Um, and for better or worse, that they, they saw him a lot more, I guess, than they saw the opposition. But with the ramifications of the second wave being 801 deaths, m you know, many thousands being infected, jobs lost, mental health issues rising, all these different things, I think Victorians need to have an alternative mm. because there is no bigger failure of public policy in Victoria's history mm. than this one. Um, and if we don't, as a Liberal Party or as an opposition, offer an alternative, well, people are going to be stuck with him. So we do have to offer a credible alternative. We can't just be a carping alternative that, that criticises all the time mm -hmm. and keeps pointing out the failures. I mean, this is a time where, you know, there, there's going to be some significant economic and damage and indeed damage to people's mental health that's not going to present for months and months that's to come. Right. Yeah. Um, people need to be able to see what the alternative has planned for that to deal with that. You know what though, you say you don't just want to be someone who slams them, but you know, we do need that from an opposition in a Westminster style government. But more than that, this is a unique government we have here, Dan Andrews. I mean, code inquiry yesterday, nobody's mm -hmm. at fault, right? Now, if you don't do it, he'll get away with it. Yeah, you that's right. You have to get in there and point it out. And there's no question we do, although you get responses from your electorate that range from, you know, why aren't you just shutting up and working with the government? to why aren't you going a lot harder. So there's everything yeah. on both ends of the scale and everything in between. But you've got to point out poor performance. You've got to point out where mistakes were made. You can't have people just accepting that there was no alternative to what happened. I mean, Andrews keeps talking about the fact that there was no playbook to run with. Mm. Well, the, the reality is there was a playbook. Oh, okay. It was talked about in National Cabinet, particularly around yeah. hotel quarantine, yeah. and every other state and territory went by that playbook, Which except playbook for are you us. talking about? Well, I'm talking, I mean, I, I use the word playbook yeah, in the sure. way that Andrews is using it, but it's about all the um, state and territory heads agreeing on a particular way. And they did it. And they did it, yeah. and and except for Victoria. And and right. the proof is in the pudding. Every, every other state's done pretty well when it comes down to hotel quarantine. Yeah. Obviously, New South Wales has got some issues, and we'll judge the Premier up there on 
how she deals with this most recent outbreak. Mm. And if she gets it contained pretty quickly, then that, that will show that her systems are, are, are gold standard, as has been said. But, you know, we, we deviated from the National Cabinet decision and this is the situation we find ourselves in. It didn't in. work out well. Per, so New South Wales and Victoria have a similar population size, yeah. 6 million roughly. Uh, every, for every million people in New South Wales, seven died of COVID total. Here, it's 128. Well, someone should be accountable for that, shouldn't they? No one's... It's nobody. I no can't one. believe what's come out yesterday. So if no one's... What's going to happen moving forward? You guys are going to put the heat on... Uh, the public, are, I don't know, what are you feeling from the electorate? You said half are saying work with the government, half are saying slam the well, government. Well, I'd say there's a portion that say one side, a portion the other, and there's a portion in the middle. Um, I think it's interesting. I mean, it, politics is interesting because people's focuses are different to every person that you speak to. You know, you can, you can talk to one about the hotel quarantine failures, but yeah. they'll be upset about the massive debt that's being racked up. And you yeah. talk to massive debt to this person and they'll be upset that, you know, you're not working cohesively with the government. And yeah. So you've got to have a different focus for different people and different demographics have different views on things. Yeah. So I think what we need to do going forward is, is help people understand what actually happened. But also, you've got to present an agenda for the future as well. You know, why are you the alternative? Why... You know, for all Andrew's failings, maybe, you know, if he's the only one with an agenda, mm. then that's the one people are going to go for. That's so true. you've got to go into next <clears> year <throat> acknowledging the problems, the economic problems. Um, and with economic problems, you know, a lot of people, particularly our Labor opponents, slam us for talking about the economy all the time. Mm. They say, oh, are you putting jobs and money ahead of lives? Mm -hmm. Well, that's not true. I mean, if you talk to any mental health expert, they'll say that the best way to combat mental health and depression and issues like that is work or school or training. So if the economy is going, if people are working, I mean, it stands to reason if mm. you're unemployed and worried about your own family's future, that you're mm. going to start getting, um, you're going to get down at, at the minimum or you're going to get suffer from depression at, at the other end of the scale. So we want to make sure that we have an agenda that, that starts boosting the economy again. Because the budget that was handed down last month... Yeah which put in $155 billion worth of debt, yeah. which did not address those who have been out of work. You know, they yeah. talked about the government's big build, yeah. which the workers on those big builds really haven't skipped a beat in the last six months. They've still been getting paid. They've still got, you know, that that's not new jobs. That's yeah. just existing jobs. Yeah. Public sector's still been working from home. In fact, they got a pay rise, I think, in June, yeah. July. So 3 they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's all those people, the sole traders and the, the yeah. private businesses, and, and there's so many of them. If you walk around um, the city, you'll see four lease signs on a lot of yeah. sh lot of shops. Um, not a lot of disposable income going around and only probably a third of the foot traffic that you would normally see in the city. So we need to go, as the opposition, go into the next election and the next couple of years sort of telling people how we're going to support them going forward. Right, so when you go in, when you do this messaging, so, I mean, you know, Gideon Rosen from the IPA, yep. right? So he's been on here a number of times, and he, he makes a good point that the, the left are good at telling stories. And we get on there, I say we, I shouldn't do that all the time. <laughs> shouldn't, because you're a swinging voter. Ah! But, <laughs> but the right, the more rational side, shall we say, uh, we, we <laughs> talk about, hey, the facts don't bear that out. Like... The left will say capitalism is, is, is an evil, it's a cancer on the world. And yet the data, Stephen Pinker argument, says that no, it is the greatest advancement of human aggregate welfare that we have ever seen. Free markets are great for human welfare. So the facts are on our side. However, we don't convince the public of the reality of it because when they're saying, oh, you want to kill people, you want to put jobs before lives, we come back and say, oh, no, well, the statistics bear out that actually yeah. blah, 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 blah. 
We've had this conversation a lot internally, and I think we've we've done well in recent times in at least understanding that we have to put a human face to our stories. Mm. And in fact, just the last few question times in Parliament, we've been talking about people who um, who are on uh, surgical waiting lists that are extended on and on and mm. on. Mm. And we're starting to talk about individuals and the impact of a poorly resourced health department, a mm. poorly staffed health department, and what that's doing to people who are you know, in pain for, for months, if not years. Mm. Um, and they, they're the kind of stories I think we need to talk about more frequently going forward as, as being the champion of the individual. Because over mm. time, this government's become very arrogant in terms of it's sort of Daniel Andrews' agenda or nothing. Mm -hmm. And if you're in the way, you'll get steamrolled. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think I would like to see a situation where over the next two years we start being the champion of the individual when someone's yeah. got a, a grievance with the government that you know next to them is a is a liberal or opposition member who is there to help them help them navigate the bureaucracy but more importantly demonstrating to people that a government that talks a lot about fairness mm. is not always fair well can we get a bit more emotive on that front as well so yeah, when you guys so. get up and say uh you know we want to respect the individual and their freedom and the agency and their personal lives that doesn't doesn't really carry weight with the centre, right? Can you get up and say, it's not fair yeah. that Diana had to postpone her surgery and her dad died. How dare you, Labor government, and use the Th same... There should be a lot more of that, most yeah. definitely. It's, 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 I mean, people don't want to listen to politicians as a general rule. Yeah, well, um, I do. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to have something to say, but you've mm. also got to have a, a third party standing with you. You know, I can get up and say that Daniel Andrews is not being fair to people, but unless I've got someone next to me who's personally affected saying, actually, he's not being fair. Will they do that? Well, that's that's you've got to try to find those people, and yeah. that's that's the hard part sometimes, because some, you know, a lot of people shy away from the publicity, yeah. but they also fear they're going to get targeted yeah. if they stand up. I mean, we had this issue um, with the CFA last term, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you, you may be across. Yeah. Um, a lot of CFA volunteers who knew they were being sidelined and marginalised yeah. by the government wouldn't stand with us because they didn't want to get targeted by either the union or the government or the CFA bureaucracy. Okay. So you've got to be, you know, it's as you rightly said, we've, there's only a few of us in Parliament. We can't yeah. do it all ourselves. If we're fighting for people, yeah. then they need to stand with us. You know, you, you can fight, or I, as I like to say, we'll, we'll, I'll fight with anyone whose cause I believe in, but yeah. I won't always fight for you as your proxy. You know, you've got to stand with me if you wow. want me to fight for your cause. It's an empowering... See, that message really resonates with me, but I'm, I feel like Labor does the opposite. They say, we'll do it for you. Yeah. Just, don't worry, we'll look after you. We'll look after you. Just hand us some more power. Well, I guess that's philosophically why we're different. We believe, as a as a Liberal Party, that um, people need to stand up and help themselves a little bit as well. So, well, tell me about your... Why do you believe that? I guess this will lead us into why the heck are you doing this crazy job? <laughs> well, I guess it goes back, if, if I can go back to when I was quite young. Um, I had no designs on being a politician, it's fair to say I didn't know really what I was going to do. But my family moved from here to Queensland when I was 16 and I didn't fit in at all, um, neither in the school <coughs> or in the new environment, so I dropped out of school. Why, why didn't you fit in? Oh, I had a lot of friends here in Melbourne. Um, I, I just didn't want to go, really, okay. for, you know, for all those yeah. angsty 16-year-old reasons that yeah. you have. Yeah. Um, I lasted three months in the high school in year 11 up there and yeah. I dropped out, got a job and... Um, just a couple of days after my 17th birthday, I moved back here and moved in with some friends that, oh, wow. um, friends that I knew. So I, I got a job in 1987 in the city, um, just an office job. I was born in 86. <laughs> <laughs> well, but it was a very, if, if 
you know, those who those who are sort of under forty probably don't mm. remember what Victoria was like then and what Melbourne was like. But in the in the dying years of the Kane Kerner governments, it was a very gloomy place. Really? Um, it was, you know, we were the rust bucket of the state of the country, I should say. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people were losing jobs. And I got a job in the finance sector, and and that was just devastating. We lost, you know, the State Bank of Victoria it had to be sold to the Commonwealth Bank, the merchant banking arm of State Bank of Victoria, Tricontinental collapsed. Um, there was a whole a whole collapse of the economy, which is why Kennett won so decisively in 1992. Right. But what I saw in those formative years was uh, the outcomes of a very poor government who managed the economy very poorly, managed the budget very Pre badly. Pre-Kennett. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I and I just assumed as a young adult that that was life. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't even remember John Kane, you know, through my yeah. teenage years as being the premier. So when Kennett came in, he literally transformed us overnight. He, it, we went from the from the laughing stock of the nation to a, a state where, you know, we were the arts capital and the sporting capital, and there was a buzz and a vibrancy in Melbourne that was really really exciting. So that's only jobs since, were coming back. That's only since ninety two. Ninety two, yeah, yeah. Oh. So it was. It, I saw what a poor government can do, and I saw what a really good government <clears throat> can do, and I saw. Um, the investment that was made here and the confidence boost. I mean, when you talk about investment, governments can make their own investment, but at the end of the day, it's it's private investment that mm. keeps an economy rolling. Mm. And the confidence in Melbourne and Victoria more broadly was just boosted exponentially. From when? 92? From until... 92 to 90, well, even to when... 96, you know. Was he, how long was he in for? Um, 92 to 99. No, no, seven years. Okay. And because, you know, I grew up knowing Victoria and Melbourne being just as good as, I'm from Sydney. Yep. Uh, and being this huge culture capital, like you say. Yeah, yeah. So I'm surprised to hear that it was a created thing. It wasn't for 50 yeah, years. Yeah, look, it was probably, there was an element of it through uh, the Rupert Hamey years in the yep. late 1970s. Um, and it's it's fair to say that, Kane didn't wreck it on purpose, sure, but it was sure. just a gradual, you know, a, a poor management of the economy, a poor management of the budget. Um, Same with Andrews. He's not trying to wreck it. Well, that's, he well... He is wrecking it. He is. He's not but what happened, the interesting thing that I found as I look back over those years, and I get, I'll get i come to why this spurred me to get into, into politics, when Steve Brax won in 1999 against what the public has perceived as a Premier in Kennet, that had done really well for the state, but had become quite arrogant. Kennet became arrogant. Well, that's that, that was a that was big view, yeah. And um, Brax was quite, just quite easy going. But what I saw as a non-political observer was that the boom of that seven years between 92 and 99 came to a pretty drastic halt. Oh. Now, Brax didn't change too much. He just didn't do anything. Oh. And he was known at the time as the mirror man because any time anyone asked him about something, he said, I'll look into it. Oh. And that was a pretty constant refrain from him. So I found myself complaining about a bit of a do-nothing government for a couple of years. Yeah. And I gradually reached the conclusion that, well, if you're going to complain about it, do something about it. So this, now so that, we're talking 2002. We're talking about 2003, yeah. Mm. And I, I warmed to the Liberal Party for not just the reason that Kennett had been such an impressionable figure on my life, but... I had brought myself up. I'd never taken a public dollar. You know, I dropped out of school, but I had um, entered into into work at, at 17. Um, I paid all my bills. You know, I'd got made my own way. So by 2003, I'd been working for about 15 years. I'd done. I was a currency foreign currency trader, mm. um, and I had done quite well. Mm. And my opinion is that anyone can do well if they put their mind to it. If they don't, you know, look around for handouts, but actually take pride in however many other job they do. I've found, to my, you know, 
benefit that there's always been someone there who'll give me a helping hand in any career that I've ever tried or any job that I've ever been to. So I think the philosophy of the Liberal Party, that one of, you know, make your own way and, and we'll be there to, as a government, as a Liberal government, there to support you, but we want to help you get higher than you are now and, and if you can put your own effort into that, then we'll recognise that and support that. So the philosophy of the party really spurred me along to join the party and um, I worked very closely with the current member, member for Warrandyte, my predecessor. So when he retired, he said, you should run, you you have an aptitude for this. When was that? That was 19... Oh, not 19, 2006. Okay, so three years... Okay, so we're still along, we're still 14 years ago. Yes, so, so yeah, so three years between when I joined the party and when I got elected. Oh, you got elected in 04? 06. 06, yeah. Oh, I thought you were elected in 18. You were re-elected in 18. Yeah, re-elected. See, I've been fortunate enough to be re-elected four times now, <clears> so that's been oh, okay. good. Um, yeah, so I... I uh, yeah, I became the member in, in 2006 and spent a term in opposition before we entered government. Fortunate to get promoted to the front bench by Ted Bailey in 2009 in opposition. What happened with that? With You guys were in for how long? One term? Yeah, one term, four years. What happened? Um, there was a perception that we weren't doing enough, yeah. um, that we really hadn't made a mark. And um, I think Ted as Premier had a lot of good ideas but had trouble conveying them to the public and to be frank even to his own team i mean i've got enormous respect he's got a very um he's got a real heightened sense of responsibility to the community yeah. and um you know coming from quite a privileged family self-made yeah. privileged family may i say but um uh, i think he, he really wanted to leave some sort of civic legacy right. but it just wasn't cutting through the message wasn't cutting through so you know, your community starts coming to you and saying, what are you doing? Yeah. And and it's very, it didn't seem that the concerns of the community as conveyed by MPs like myself to the leadership team were really being listened to. So okay. hence the change over to, to Dennis Napthine. Okay. And then you go into opposition mm. and uh, you, you were the Minister for the Environment, weren't you? Yeah, and Youth Affairs. Okay. So how do you find, can I just detour a bit into the whole lefty kind of perception people have of, of Melbourne. What's the deal with that? Why is Melbourne more left? Is it more? Oh, it is more left. It certainly is. And it's an interesting one because through those early years of, of Henry Bolte and Rupert Homo, you know, the, the Liberals held government for a very, very long time. Yeah. So we were considered the, the jewel in the crown of the Liberal Party as far mm -hmm. as the nation was concerned. Um, look, things changed. Maybe a, a more multicultural community had some impact on it in some ways. Um, the Labor seemed better at targeting those groups. Um, what about the, because I said, you, you know, the Minister for the Environment, is that a big thing down here, climate change? Yeah, something? huge, huge. I mean, I took a very pragmatic approach to yep. the portfolio, you know, I, I, I um, with any portfolio, whether you're in government or a shadow portfolio, the yep. best thing you can do is just get out and talk to the people who are affected by it and they'll tell you the problems pretty quickly. Mm. Um, so I took a very pragmatic approach, but the government and the Labor Party take a very idealistic approach. Mm. The, the policies they put in place are always seen through that philosophical lens rather than being pragmatic and getting the job done. So in many cases, um, the policies that they implement don't help. In some cases they hurt, but it's a good yeah. story to tell. They win votes. Yeah, that's right. So I'll give you an example as their recent decision um, to halt native timber logging. Yeah. So um, that will hurt country towns, yeah. um, it'll mean in a bigger picture that we'll import timber from other countries that perhaps don't have the same yeah. um, environmental protections that we do. Mm. But 
the story to the inner city sounds great. We're going to stop cutting down native trees. Mm. But to those country towns, it's, it, it, it will kill them. It'll kill them because there'll be no jobs. Mm. No jobs becomes there's no one to play in the local community sport. There's no mm. kids at the local schools. Mm. You know, it's a, it's a huge damage, notwithstanding the, you know, the economic ramifications as well. But as far as communities go, it's a real problem. So, but the Labor Party would rather tell a good story to Paran and Brunswick and Northcote residents than worry about a group of people in country Victoria who aren't voting for them anyway. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's no damage politically because, you know, I don't, they don't vote for us, so it doesn't matter. And that's really where Daniel Andrews has taken this government. It's, it's looking after the people that vote for him mm -hmm. and really not caring about the people who don't vote for him. There's no benefit in caring for them. So in, in the most recent times, you know, you care for, when it comes to jobs, you care for unionised sites and public servants. Without, I don't want to be too general, but you know, I don't say that every union man and every public servant votes for Labor, but in the main. But you don't look after business owners mm. and sole traders because they, as a, as a cohort, don't vote for you. And he's talked about more, most recently um, uh, loading for casual workers, yeah. you know, giving giving yeah. them holiday pay and giving yeah. them sick pay and everything, yeah. although casual workers <coughs> always get a loading. Yep. Now he knows that more people will get that benefit mm. than have to pay that benefit. Mm. So he gains the bigger cohort at the expense of the smaller cohort, which in the main, doesn't his judge vote. doesn't vote for him. So he's one of the greatest, greatest, one of the savviest politicians we've ever seen. Yeah, oh, he's a great politician now. Put it whatever connotations you want around yeah, that. Yeah. Um, I, I think he's a poor manager. Yeah. Um, he's a poor... Uh, uh, He's not empathetic to the community, yeah. but as a politician, he's clever. Very. What's he like in person? Oh, my view of him is coloured by my political um, view, I suppose. But I, I found him. I think the what he shows us in Parliament is very different to what he shows the public. He's very, very arrogant in Parliament. Because um, I've heard stories, and I haven't been able to verify them, so I won't repeat them. But yeah. I've heard that. Yeah, he's very much that way. I've observed two things about him. One is um, he has no concept of money. He doesn't. It's just a bottomless pit. And I don't mean that in the in the very <coughs> um, you know gratuitous way. I would say Labor people don't care about money. I think there's certainly people on the Labor side who get money. He doesn't get money. Well, look at his at resume. All. That's why. Yeah. But the other thing is he doesn't understand. I've observed this over 14 years. He doesn't understand the ramifications of his actions. Right. So someone who's more savvy or, or understands uh, business, but not just understands things better or is more of a deep thinker. And that I don't mean that as a criticism of his thinking ability because he is shrewd. Mm. He gets what's going to happen next and he gets what happen, might happen after that, but he doesn't get what's going to happen after that. Really? He doesn't understand that when he, you know, for instance, you know, we're going to rip up the North, uh, the East-West Link contract. Yeah, yeah. He Very doesn't nice. understand that there's a whole lot of things connected to that, that he, he's tipping one domino over and it's just going to, you know, permeate out into mm. into um, so many other areas. And so he doesn't get ramifications. Politically, does he? Politically, he probably does. Okay. The other thing, uh, the third thing that I've noticed of him, that um, any opposition to what he's doing is he will only see as um, political. He'll only think that you're making a political point against him. That's he doesn't true. see um, this is actually a real problem that yeah. is going to affect people materially. He sees opposition as political. Every single bit of opposition he sees as political. Is this because he's a product of the political? Yeah, no doubt. Ladder, no doubt. Okay. So how do you how do you rat? Because this guy got a little bit rattled when when it started to uh, unravel with Peter Credlin, and he started to get testy with a few yeah. journos. 
Is that how you rattle him? You, you yeah, well, you, to... you, you ridicule him for a start. He hates ridicule. That's, everyone's telling yeah, him yeah. that. Throw, you throw his own words back in his face and he, he, he can never let it go. He's not... He never can let it go. Yeah, okay. But he also doesn't... You know, he's not used to... Um, he's not used to having that uh, pushback. You know, he's, he's, he's made a situation he's had... Keep this in mind, you know, he's, he decisively won the last election, so he's removed a lot of his opponents yes. from, the, from the chamber. Yes. He had that whole branch stacking thing happening internally, so he was able to remove his opponents from his own cabinet, so his factional opponents in his cabinet is removed. Mm-hmm. He managed to uh, remove the authority of the Victorian Labor Party, in, in that whole branch stacking oh, okay. situation. Which we don't talk about anymore, apparently. Yeah, that's right. So this whole... He, he doesn't like pushback when he's he... He's fragile. Yes. When he, when he has pushback, he, he does his best to remove it. And he's been quite successful in doing so. Yes. But when journalists like Rachel Baxendale and, and um, Peter Cradle and... And Peter has gone after him now. Yeah. I haven't seen that so much. Oh, you should check him out on Twitter. He's, oh, he's good. like, I'll F and take you to the grave. He's oh, really, really? Yeah, Gee, that's a turnaround. super angry right now. Well, I haven't seen that. That's yeah. that's good to hear. Someone Lund. Must be Andrew Yeah, no, it would be Andrew Lund. Yeah. No, no. Well, that's good to hear because I think we need... Channel I mean, nine. as much as um, the opposition said to, to expose the government's failings, the media needs to do the job too. Oh, so you just come to my mind. He called it your BS and lies. Good. That's pretty big. Good. Yeah. So, all right. So this is why... I'm, I'm, the reason why I'm interested in kind of profiling Dan a bit is... I'm not interested in just crucifying him. I'm interested in us seeing who he really is. And if we then want to vote him back in in 2022, fine. You know what you get. But at the moment, what annoys me, pisses me off, is that there's this fake image thing that yeah. is going on. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So we've got someone who who micromanages, yeah. centralises power to him. That's why the whole quarantine process of I don't know what happened is just complete and utter. It's a lie, mm. as far as I'm concerned, because it's just so clear from every other thing that he does, that every decision comes back to him. You know, one of the reasons why he fronted up every day for these conferences is because he got to control the narrative. Mm-hmm. He didn't want someone else's narrative there. He wanted his. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's one characteristic of him. It's all <coughs> centralised. It's all... And, and progressively, as he remains the Premier, it's more arrogant, and it goes back to what I was saying to you before, Matthew, about um, I will look after the people who who look after me, who will vote for me, I'll look after them, I'll give them the story they want to hear at the expense of other people. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's all about if you're not going to be on his side, then you will be left behind. This comes back to bite you because, as you know, this game is a team sport. Yes, that's right. So I, I, we know he's going to go down eventually. It's just whether he goes down on his own. Okay, yesterday he says, not only will I not resign in the face <laughs> of the code inquiry, yeah, I will uh, be on the ballot in yep. 2022. There's no doubt. I, I've, I mean, time will tell, but I've never thought that he was going to leave. I think if he left now, his legacy would be 800 deaths and yeah. you know a failed hotel quarantine yeah. and contact tracing system. He wants to leave on his own terms. When I, fi- I not only did I defeat the you know, wicked virus, <laughs> um, but I also built the economy back, and that's what he wants to be able to say at the end of his tenure. Mm. Okay. That, right. That's my view. I think he, he's created a situation where, as I said, he's got no opposition in, in his cabinet. He's yeah. got no opposition from rival factions within his party. You know, he's on top. Why would he leave? All right. So I have to ask you a question I've asked everyone, which is, are you noticing a shift in the electorate since this whole lockdown thing in sentiment? Mainly, I guess, towards that centrist, unengaged polity and also, I guess, small business owners who are suddenly being politically activated, saying, hey, 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 
Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that in the context of the national environment where all oppositions are having a lot of trouble getting traction at the moment mm. because, you know, crises tend to mm. put the focus on the government of the day. However, when I look at polls that come through and say that he's got 62% approval and things of that nature, I wonder because what I'm getting through contact with my office and through social media, um, emails of people upset, you know, I don't see any love for the government, certainly not for Daniel yeah, but you're a liberal, Premier. You're a Liberal office. That's true. No, well, I'm the member for the area. There isn't a Labor office, so I'm the Liberal for the area. I'm yeah. here to help people, and people come to me with all manner of issues. But people express their anger um, through social media a lot. Has uh, it changed, though? Yeah, it has. That... It has. I think people... There's a large group of people who understand that mistakes were made, and they understand that they had to, to make a lot of sacrifices to fix those mistakes. What I'm getting more and more is don't get up and lie to me. Don't get up and say, I don't know what happened. Don't tell your ministers to get up and say, I don't know what happened. Don't tell your bureaucracy to tell them say, I don't know what happened. You know, no one believes that mm. that's okay. Mm. You know, be open and upfront. You know, Australians are pretty forgiving. They, yeah, they would. They'd forgive them. Yeah, if they said, yeah. if they said, you know, we, we put security guards into hotel quarantine because they were all going to lose their jobs and we thought we could kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. We could, we could quarantine people and give people jobs who are out of work. Yeah. But it didn't work out, and now we need your help to fix it. Yeah. But this obfuscation and lying and, and telling people that you don't remember, it's just no one likes that. Mm. And I, I think that's where the mood started to shift. And, I, you know, even though we're literally days away from Christmas, mm. and that's, you know, the reports only dropped yesterday, the most mm. recent report, mm. the pushback on it is pretty strong. If you read the yes. papers today, they're yes. full of articles from... You know, usual, usually pretty fair and balanced journalists yeah. who are reporting it as just a travesty yeah. and and a, and a real um, abrogation of responsibility. Yeah. And people so, like Lund have turned. So. Yeah, well, that's yeah, that's good to see. And um, the, the the thing is, the, the challenge from opposition is to maintain that rage for two years. I mean, two years is a long time. It is. And if you walk around, you know, people are happy to be seeing their friends again. They're happy not to have to wear masks all the time. There's a sense of euphoria. Yeah. in the community. So they're kind of going, I don't really care about that. I just want to get back to life. They will care in March when lockdown three comes. And, well, not only if if and when lockdown three comes, but JobKeeper's going to stop too. Do you, don't, don't you think he'll kick it down the road a bit? Because you know what's going to happen. He'll Morrison? start to want... And, and Frydenberg. Because if he does just cut it off, which is the plan to slowly taper it out... Uh, everyone's going to be pointing fingers. Well, Andrews has been the first one, and I've heard him yeah, say... Yeah. I've heard him say that... Um, Scott Morrison needs to understand that Victorians are Australians too, and and yeah, it's it's really, you know, my government's caused this problem. But not only do you have to fix it by being locked down, but you have to fix it by continuing to pay people who are being put out of work because of my actions. I mean, it's really I really love Dan poor. Andrews. I love Dan. <laughs> you stand with Dan. I stand with Dan. <laughs> do, do, do. Uh, uh, okay. Again, why why do you do this? Because I do, I mean, you said you you're doing it because you believe it's the right thing to do. You've been doing it for sixteen years, I guess. But fourteen the, years. Fourteen years. But the thing I find strange about you is I, I get on your Facebook, and there you are standing at the roundabout up there in Warrandyte about this has got to be fixed because it's a fatality area, and 
Uh, other ones, you you know, the, the power's out by United Energy or whoever it is, and you're calling the power company and helping people. And it's even more impressive to know that you were formerly a minister. See, you're not new at this. You're yeah. not some little backbencher trying to make their way in the political system. You've been around for a while. Why, why are you fighting on these little battles that don't really matter? They matter to people's lives, well, but that, that's, that's not going to win you a lot of votes. That's why. It matters to people's lives. Every problem you get. Look, there's no doubt sometimes you get people with problems that you go, mm. But it's a problem to them, and if you don't acknowledge that, then you're in the wrong game. That's one vote you've just won. That's fine. I mean, that's. I mean, I have always taken pride in any job I've ever had, mm. and the the base role of this job is to help people mm. to the best that you can, whether you're in government or opposition. It's sometimes harder in opposition, mm. um, or sometimes when you're in government, you've got to, you know, there's a whole <coughs> lot of explaining to do about why stuff's not happening, but. That's the base role, and if you don't accept that, I mean, there's a lot of politicians on all sides of politics who mm. use it as a stepping stone to the mm. front bench or a ministry opposition or even greater ambitions than that. But, you know, the last election that we had here in, in 2018, you know, a lot of good members got voted out, and I'm sure in other elections gone by, you know, good Labor members have been mm. voted out. Mm. You've got to shore up your base as much as you possibly can. You, you really do, because if you want to keep... You know, if you're not on the field then you can't play mm. and you can't be on the field unless you're doing your job properly. And doing your job properly is, quite frankly, helping every individual person, mm. making the community. It it's a really, sounds like a really glib statement from a politician, but you do want to make your community a better place. Mm. And in a place like mine, I mean, Warrandyte's a great electorate. Mm. It really is. There's not a lot, you know, in the whole scheme of things, there's areas in Victoria that are a lot worse position than, than Warrandyte. You oh, know, there's yeah. some really good state schools. There's some... Yeah. The traffic's not that bad, yeah, all things great. considered. And I'm talking relative to other areas because yeah, yeah. there's no doubt people do think that there's yeah. different concerns. But by and large, we're largely safe. Mm. Largely mm. our kids are being educated well. Mm. Largely the health system's pretty good. Mm. So, But when people come to you with little individual issues, you should be acting on it because that's your role. Where else are they going to go? Mm. You know, And the best that I've done in this job, you know, people say, what's your great legacy that you've got? And, I've, you know, there's money I've got for schools and new footy club down at Warrandyte and all that sort of stuff. But the best things that I can stand on, the things that still actually make me emotional at times, are families who have come to you with very, very personal issues of, of um, you know, their disabled kid that needs help or their daughter's on drugs and just needs some help. You don't go in the papers with those things, but mm. you work through the bureaucracy, which is really daunting for people to tackle. Mm. And when you get some outcomes, which material, I mean, I've got some examples of materially changed lives mm. just in that family. And that's what really makes you say, this is why I'm doing this job. You know, I used to get a, a Christmas card from one family every year for about six years that, that I'd helped. And um, I loved getting that card mm. because it was, just to know what the family was doing from where they'd been was really, really good. That's that's just a great outcome. And that's why you do this job, because you get outcomes like that. But we need to publicise, I mean, I mean, sensitively, but that those stories need to get out because what you're doing, I don't is that what you call retail politics? Yeah, yeah. I mean, retail politics is on the ground stuff. On the ground yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. yeah. That kind of stuff is uh, very, very important to the electorate, but they're not. They're not really seeing that on the lib side, unfortunately. Yeah, it's. It's. I mean, you can't publicise the particulars of these things. I mean, what are you going to do? Go yeah, and play your trumpet and say there's a family who I'm not going to tell you about. Yeah. I mean, it's hard, but but you know, there's there's a lot you can do publicly. There's a lot of ways to blow your own trumpet. Um, but you've also got to do your job, which is doing those things behind closed doors, just getting outcomes and not making it political, but just beseeching government ministers to help you with this issue because it's so important. Because, you know, if we're not there to help families like that, 
what's the point? Okay, do you see movements uh, more broadly in terms of, um, you know, I don't want to say left-right, but I guess that's the easiest way to say it, just just cultural shifts in the community around Victoria and Melbourne. Where are we going? Who are we going to become? It feels to me like Labor's kind of on the ball culturally with the whole woke type stuff. Yeah, which doesn't appeal to what you would call their traditional Labor base. You know, yeah, the, no, that's the, true, that's true. The Labor doesn't really care about that stuff yeah. in my in my judgment yeah. I mean so those social issues the thing the thing to th- remember about Andrews is his agenda is about fairness his version of fairness his arbitrary version of fairness so he wants things to be fair according to Daniel Andrews but that's that sense of fairness doesn't match with everyone you know because mm. what you think's fair is not the mm. same as what I think's fair mm. you know he thinks he's being fair to workers. Mm employers might say, well, you're being really unfair to me. Mm. So that's, I think that'll start to grate on people because the more he's around and the more arrogant he gets, the more he tells you what's best for you. And I think, as we said before, you know, Australians are quite polite, but there comes a time where they just look at each other and they go, this political correctness just is, is, I mean, I haven't met a person who thinks political correctness in its, Mm. in its most full-on form is actually okay. So you don't think we're going the way of the US, the woke no. culture? No, I mean, I think the, the, there's there's that woke, the woke people are uh, getting more full-on. Yeah. <laughs> but they do alienate other people the more full-on they get. I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of the commentary and the, and the you know, hysteria from, from those groups in the States, yeah. most people don't really look at that and say, yeah, that's something I want to get on board. Right, okay. They just say, that's what... You don't represent anyone except yourself. But they've captured the media. The yeah, narrative. some, yeah. I mean, I find that for a, for a group that largely screams tolerance, yeah. there's an incredible amount of intolerance of from course. them of other people. And we often talk about um, diversity in Parliament. Mm. There needs to be more diversity, you know, talking about... Not of thought. Well, that's my point that I was going to make. There's no diversity of thought. Just skin colour. It's just like you can be... You know, the, the, the ruling party says this is the way you need to think. We all think this way and you should too or you're bad. But there's no acknowledgement of, there's no debate about the pros and cons. It's just like yeah. you, you throw, as soon as someone calls you a racist or a homophobe yeah. or whatever, it means to me they have no argument. They're not prepared to debate my position. They're just telling me my position is wrong. Yeah. Why is it wrong? Because you're a racist, obviously. Well, you've clearly just raised the uh, anti-conversion therapy bill. Yeah. So what's going on there? You guys abstained from the vote. Yeah, I mean, it's go- it was going through. There were yeah. issues. I mean, we 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 had issue with. Sorry, we, we had no issue with the main thrust yeah, of the we, bill. Yeah, we don't want crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Fine. So we were absolutely fine with that. Um, we wanted more um, consultation with the community. Mm. Um, we thought we it was clear from what we were getting back from our community that people didn't understand it or. Mm. Um, had had defined certain clauses um, rightly or wrongly in a certain way, and all we were saying to the government is just just talk to people a bit more about it. Just, I mean, it's not it doesn't seem like a big ask. I mean, we're we're largely behind you. We just there's clearly some consternation about some particular issues. But you're not going to go harder on the the fact it was written poorly. It's going to be well, human rights issues. The, the thing I mean, we've had a lot of pushback, particularly from the um, Australian Christian lobby. You know, they said exactly what you said. The Liberals didn't do anything yeah, about it to stop it. Christian groups. Are yeah, going yeah, at that's it. true. Yeah, yeah. But you know, people have to understand that the numbers are there. We, we can't stop anything. Yeah, you know, uh, we can yeah. we can raise it in debate, which we Fair did. Enough. It doesn't matter whether we vote against it or for it or whatever. Mm. We don't have the numbers. So as I've replied to a couple of other people, if you can tell me how 21 beats 
you know, the majority of 88, then that's great. I'm all, all, all ears. But mm. at the end of the day, we didn't necessarily oppose the main crux of the bill. Do you see the problems, the the, the other concerns? Yeah. That spe- you know, people yeah, yeah. About? yeah. And that's why, we, but again, you know, they've got their three in the upper house, yeah. the three cross benches, you know, Fiona Patton, Andy Medic and yeah. Samantha Ratnam, who yeah. will almost certainly vote with them. Right. Um, we can't stop this. But our message to Christian groups and anyone else who has concerns... Mm or any faith group, I guess, but, you know, they'll, they might say to me, or they have said to me, you know, why didn't you get in there and try to stop it? Well, we, we raise the points. Mm-hmm. We can't stop it on the votes. Mm-hmm. And you might not like the position we took, but let me tell you, as a faith group, your rights will be continuously attacked by this government. There's always another piece of legislation that pushes into rights, you know, 10 steps and then move back to mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. you know, everyone's going nuts. But you'll never get that legislation with our government. Mm. If you vote in a Liberal or Coalition government, th- those issues will just never be on the table. So, you okay. know... You just won't put the bill to the floor. Well, th- those, those, those things, that those pieces of legislation that impinge on faith groups' rights yeah. or, or their sense. beliefs just isn't legislation that we would even consider as a government. Right. You know, we're happy. Freedom of religion is working fine. Don't touch it. It's well, not broken. Apparently they did it well in Queensland where they, they, they did big fuss about it and they removed all the dodgy bits and it's just really narrow now. You can't do forced conversion therapy and that's it. Yeah, well, that's where we'd like to get to once we yeah. had some... Um, and I guess my message to any group is you've got to, you've got to lobby the cross benches. I mean, we don't... We're Here not we go keen. again. Yeah. Right, state of emergency then, right? So I, I don't actually have a list. It's just as I'm talking to you, I'm thinking, I've got to ask you about these things. What are we going to do in March when he tries to extend it? Because you know that's coming. We well, all know that's coming. Again, the, the pushback seems to be have to be on the cross benches. Well, you know, you, you know, we've only got the numbers we have. Right. Okay. And people, you know, if I, 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 the amount of emails that I got that, that purported that there was some secret clause in the constitution that meant, meant that the um, opposition could take control <laughs> any day they wanted to. You know, elections have consequences. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Victorian public gave this guy a massive majority. Mm. They put in a whole bunch of varied people into the upper house. Mm. I mean, you, you, I bet you, who are, is, I'm sure follows this stuff, but you couldn't name all the parties representing the upper house. Of course I bet not, you. No. Sustainability Australia, mm. or Sustainable Australia, the mm. Shooters and Fishers, the mm. Reason Party, mm. um, the Justice Party, mm. Transport Matters. Mm. I mean, do you know what these people stand for, who they are, really. what their philosophy is, their links to government? I mean, mm. you know, I, I, so I, 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 my message to people is you can give... The ruling government, a massive majority that means they can do whatever they want. Mm. That's that's your free will in a democracy. You can put in a bunch of people who hold the balance of power in the upper house um, whose, whose alignments you may not be aware of. If that's what you are putting into our parliament, if that's the makeup of our democracy, then you will get circumstances where the government can do whatever they want mm. and a group of people who you know nothing about will assist in that. So the message is to people at the next election, yeah. have a bit of a thought about how the last term's gone for you. Hmm. Have a bit of a thought about, have you still got your job? Is your business bust? Hmm. Are your kids suffering from a lost year of school hmm. in a whole range of different ways? And what caused that? And in part, it was because the state of emergency got, he was able to put it in place for a long time with barely any accountability to the, to the parliament or to the public for that matter. Hmm. You know, and if he does it again, well, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. But what about when you get in, if you get in in twenty twenty two, 
Because my am, am I going to be here complaining about liberal police who said one thing and now they're not doing it? <laughs> well, you hope not. We hope not, right? <laughs> hope not. Because I mean, I'm I, scared you're not going to fix the things like the state of emergency. Well, my view is, and this isn't our policy at the yeah, moment, sure. but it's certainly a discussion. I wouldn't, you know, the, the, the term is a time where opposition puts policy together. Yeah. So without making announcements or saying this sure. is definitively, but I, my own There's personal no view. Watching, yeah, that's good. <laughs> my own personal view is that I, I don't think any government of any flavour should have that sort of unfettered power again. There should good. be something um, put in the constitution that maybe, uh, look, I, I don't know, I haven't looked at it deeply enough, but I, I would personally like to go to the next election saying that none, no government should have that sort of unfettered power again. You can elect a government to make decisions, but they need to be accountable to parliament, they need to be accountable to the people, mm -hmm. um, and, and I think that that's something that people would understand. Um, no one, you know, to just have this arbitrary um, extension of the state of emergency powers, this arbitrary restrictions that are being put in place for health advice. I mean, has anyone ever seen this health advice? The upper house voted to have a lot of this health advice made public. That's part of the extension bill that passed. They're yeah. supposed to but table Are we seeing anything? Well, uh, so I had David Limerick on yesterday here. He reckons that you are getting like five dot points. Yeah. Nothing that really justifies no. the sort of restrictions that have been put on people and sort of, you know, impositions that have been put on people. Do you know Sanjeev Sablok? No. He's not far from me. He's the uh, former economist from Department of Treasury. Oh, Finance. yes, I know of him. Yes, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He resigned in protest. That's right. Uh, gutsy. He's, gutsy. He's been very vocal with politics in India and, and here now as well. Uh, so I hang out with him a little bit. He's pushing for what you just suggested, which is an amendment to the Victorian Constitution, which only allows state of emergency to be declared in times of war. Everything else can be dealt with on a legislative level. For example, hotel quarantine. He doesn't need the blank check of the state of emergency to run hotel no. quarantine. He can make some little hotel quarantine law. That's fine. There's a lot of... Um there's a lot being put on to us by government. It's just said, this is how it is, or this is appropriate. I mean, the amount of times we've heard this is appropriate, by whose judgment? Um, look, I, I don't know. I think a state of emergency is needed for other issues beyond just war, but I think it does need to be have far more oversight, far, far more oversight than it currently has. Okay. And like I say, I, I think he's remarkably gutsy for what he's done. It would be nice um, if you did take a policy to the next election to make yeah, it tighter. Yeah, and we'll certainly discuss it more. I, I want to have that discussion internally. I think it's a it's a good way to go. And I, I you know, as I said, I don't care if it's if we're in government or they're in government. It just should not be. I mean, we, we've seen a very concrete example of what unfettered power brings, mm. and uh, I don't think it's pretty. No, I, no. I keep on saying I was I was buying lobster at the QVM market one day. And then Mr. Michelin men came in. Oh, right. Pushing the old ladies over with fruit. And yeah. That was full on. It's a terrible look, isn't it? It yeah. really is. I don't, I mean, my feedback is that not all the police force has, has been happy with what they've been asked to do, but oh, yes. like good professionals, yeah. they do what they have to do. But yeah. yeah, it's been a pretty ugly time. Okay. All right. Well, so what's happening around the traps now? What, what are we doing? It's Christmas. It's Warrandite. Um, everyone's happy. No problems. Everyone's no happy. Yes. I think in the back of everyone's mind is what if we do go into third lockdown? You know, yeah. particularly I think people were... Do you think we'll stomach it? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, no. What no. does that mean? What does it mean? Well, what does it mean? It's it's an interesting one because I was out, I was watching my son son's footy training yesterday and talking to a couple of the parents there and yeah. we were basically saying how hard it's been on the kids not to be able to play and, yeah. you know, it sounds trite just by saying that, but it's yeah. all a interaction with their friends and yeah. mental health issues and all that sort of stuff. But the prospect of going into lockdown again, if we did get a second wave, and, and while people might have been a bit, you know, everything's fine, and the outbreak in New South Wales, I think, has made people 
sort of say, oh no, this is scary. Yeah. Um, look, there's, there's just, I don't, I don't know. I know people say that they would not homeschool their kids again, that they wouldn't do all this stuff again. But, you know, I don't know what would happen. Do, I actually don't know. Do lockdowns work? Oh, when you, Look, Andrew says how wonderful he is for stopping the virus. The fact is we all stop the virus. You know, once you stop people moving around, yeah. then yes, how can it transmit? It can't. You can't have transmission if people aren't coming into contact with each other. So it does work. In so that it does sense. work. Yeah, if you're going to lock everyone down, you're going to beat the virus because there's no transmission. Mm -hmm. um, stands to reason. But I, I just don't know how people would react. I mean, I think the frustration that was shown to me when people did get angry and say, "Why aren't you doing something?" It was frustration. I don't think they actually thought that we could do anything because mm -hmm. the opposition has only very limited power. Mm -hmm. But it was just frustration spilling over. Yes. Now, if the government came out tomorrow and said, look, we're all going back to stage four lockdowns, what would people actually do? Well, people started to go out protest. That was when the fines were $1,600. Mm -hmm. And then we started getting protests and then the government ratcheted up to 5,000 and then said, oh, aren't people wonderful for doing the right thing? Well, you've threatened them with a massive fine. Mm -hmm. Of course they're going to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I mean, if schools aren't open to send your kids, what do you do? If if, they, if if clubs aren't running sport, what do you do? There's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. March. I think we have seen that. In, I know New South Wales is breaking out right now. But let's see what happens over the next... I, I really week. want to see the Premier up there contain things. If she can contain things and, and demonstrate that, that gold standard, it will be a oh. coup. It'll say... I mean, people forget also, it's funny, you know, everyone's getting upset. You know, New South Wales has got 50... We had 700. Mm -hmm. We were celebrating when we were under 200. Mm -hmm. like, and this wasn't just one day of mm. in the hundreds. It mm. was 700, yeah. 750. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. Yeah. It was extraordinary how bad things got here, mm. Mm. how unbelievably bad things got here. Can, can, can I put it into perspective there? Because a lot of people will be screaming at the cameras at the TV right now. Stop screaming. <laughs> no, but the, the sense of our society, we think that is terrible that 800 people died. It is terrible that we had 700 cases. It is terrible that we've had X number of people die from just coronavirus in general, all this kind of stuff. But we're not talking about locking up a school of 4,000 people. We're not talking about a community of 5,000. We're talking about six and a half million people, lives. I'm not sure our response is proportionate. No, I don't either. And and um, a lot of our country MPs were saying the same thing. Areas that hadn't had a case for, you know, 100 k's away were getting locked down. You know, country Crazy. areas. Uh, you know, there was some uh, merit in, in shutting down Greater Melbourne as mm -hmm. opposed to Country Victoria. But for a long time, um, I think, and for too long, those country communities were in a state, in a position where they, the restrictions were just over the top compared mm -hmm. to what the risk was. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think that there is, a, there is a proportionality that needs to be dealt with. And the other thing I think, the government started looking, and, and the Chief Health Officer as well, probably started looking at this thing last February, and it was purely a health issue. Mm -hmm. But they got very blinkered. And I think that they lost perspective of the broader ramifications of the of the business, the mental health issues, all those other things. And I remember one time I was quite surprised. Um, Andrews was asked, "At what point is there is there a time where the balance shifts, where the gains that you get from locking down the virus um, are less than the the, the 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 ramifications of these mental health mm. issues and all these other things?" And he said, "No, I've got to deal with the virus." He's a bit like that, isn't he? Yeah, and so it was just like, you know, you might have... I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, 20 to 30 kids presenting at the Royal Children's Hospital a day for mental health issues. Yeah. You've read about GPs saying yeah, that yeah, they've yeah. got... I mean, if... if it, it 
worried me greatly that I never heard our Premier talking about these things. Yeah. You know, I think there was only a few press conferences where mental health was mentioned, but but not, I mean, that was, that, that was and is and will continue to be a massive issue. Yeah. And when my government's not talking about it, that tells me they're not thinking about it. Right. And that's a real concern to me. So if we move forward to another lockdown, um, and I, again, I have no idea how the public would react. I just don't know what they would do across a range of different areas. But, um, you know, there's got to be, if the government says we need to stop people moving yeah. to limit transmission, we're aware of all these other issues and this is how we're dealing with them. Mm. But if you continue as a government to be blinkered with regards to only dealing with the, the physical health issues, mm. then you're letting the population down enormously. Can you give me a bit of insight inside of baseball on politics and how it works in terms of Jenny Karkos now coming out and slamming Dan? Do you have it? I know it's not your party. No. But they're, they're cracking. Yeah. Can we read into that? Or? Well, there's a couple of things. She's got nothing to lose. so you know, she's out, yeah. But she's getting her parliamentary pension, which um, finished what in 2004. That? So in up until 2004, um, MPs basically got a defined benefit scheme. Yeah. So she'll get... 100 grand a year? Oh, she'll probably, as a minister, I'm guessing probably 160, 180,000 a year for life. Um, so anyone elected after 2004 doesn't get that. What do you get now? It's super. Yeah, we get super. We oh. get an increased super, like 15%, but... Um, we well, you barely made it in. Yeah, no, I didn't make it in. No, I know what I mean. You won <laughs> no, no. you too late. <laughs> but you don't do it for that. Um, but nice some do. But so she's got nothing to lose in terms of remuneration. Yeah, she, sure, she, sure. She's being, you know, I'm not making a comment on her own financial situation, but sure. she's in a pretty good situation sure. as far as um, she can burn some bridges. Yep. Um, it just depends on what she wants to do in the party going forward. So if she wants to have any she, she's position, or well, she's out of the parliamentary party, yeah. But she might be still a member, member of the Labor oh, Party. Okay. She might want to have ambitions there to run the... I don't, I don't oh, know what okay. her... So right. she, if she has no ambitions in the party, then she can say what she wants. She can make a judgment call that her own integrity has been maligned yep. and she wants to make restitution yep. for that. Yep. Um, but she alluded to, like, his phone calls. Yeah, but none of that stuff's going to happen. Or I don't think anyone thinks that any of that stuff's going to get called. I mean, the inquiry's yep. over. If there's a Royal Commission, yep. which they might be one federally, and certainly there would be one if we were to take government in 2022. And you can but do it on a state level as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Well, the okay. Bush, the the Royal Commission Bush into Black Saturday was um, 10 years ago was a Victorian oh, one. Okay. Right. So, yeah, we can, we, uh, the state can call a Royal Commission, no problem. Yeah. But that, that'll take a few years, right? It I can. Mean, it could. Okay, right. But a lot of people, a lot of those issues will get re-prosecuted. Look, I, I, and even putting us, even when he's long gone, I still like, feel like we really do need to have one. Yeah, people because be we need to know what the hell happened to these people that died. And you know what? Even if your aim is not a political one, mm. how do you learn from mistakes? You know, the Black Saturday Royal Commission helped us understand. Mm. And I must say, some of these lessons ten years gone have been forgotten, but helped us understand how to prevent this sort of thing from happening again. I mean, if we have another pandemic in five years. Wouldn't you like to know that um, the list of failures is there mm. and how you can do it better is there and there's a better plan? Mm. I mean, the government of the day, whoever they are, would want to know, mm. you know, don't do this again because mm. it won't work mm. and it'll end up in, you know, a calamity. Mm. So royal commissions will help you just put your systems in place better. So, point. you know, yeah, look, there's there's political opportunity, but for the good of the population for the good of people, you want to know exactly what went wrong and how you can do it better, surely. And you, your, official, your party is calling for that now? Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, we are. Yeah. 
which Dan Andrews would be dead set against. Oh, absolutely. Which is a real shame. Yeah, well, it's a shame because it shows an unwillingness to... It shows that he's putting um, political issues ahead of, of actually understanding what the problems are. Do you see a problem bigger than Dan behind him? No. You think if he goes, it'll be all solved? Uh, I think that there's... He's, the Labor Party's put in a bureaucracy that is beholden to them. Yeah. So when I was a minister, you would get... Firstly, you go in as a minister yeah. with some experience outside of the political sphere. Yeah. So you, you get... You might not be the master of whatever you've come from. I mean, yeah. you know, you let's say you're a, a former senior constable and you yeah. go in as minister for police. Yeah. You don't know yeah. everything about policing, but yeah. you know something. Yeah. Um, and the same comes from um, just, you know, if I can... Something not so particular is if you've come from a commercial sector you know kind of what questions to ask, even if you're not, you know, I, I didn't go in with any particularly environmental background when I went into that portfolio, but when you're running an organisation, mm. be it a, a, the environment department or BHP or even a cafe, you know, you know mm. how to run things. Mm. What I used to get, I used to have, there's some very good public servants and they present a range of options to you and you look at it and you ask questions. What you've got now as far as I can see, is while there are a number of very good public servants still in the system, there's also a number who present a limited bunch of options because they haven't got the capacity to know or understand how to present a broader group of options. Mm -hmm. And you've got a minister with no background outside of the political sphere who kind of goes, okay. Mm. So there's not really many questions being asked. The options aren't being debated. There's nothing really being pushed back or forth. You know, most of the ministers that I see just want to keep the wheels turning. You know, they're not, you know, there's a couple that are probably pushing reform, but most of them aren't. Are the bureaucracy political or are they? The, I, I, my, um, my observation is that they are quite political. Your experience as well. So did yeah. they butt heads with you when you were their boss? No, well, I think some did, some didn't. I mean, I had a, a, a you know, I probably, all of my colleagues would say that they had a, a very good tight rein on their department. And yeah. I'm sure some of them didn't, some of them didn't. And I guess there'll be others to judge how I did it. But mm. I, I kept mine very accountable. We, we met weekly at a very senior level and mm. um, I had a number of expectations that I needed met mm. um, or I needed explanation as to why they weren't. So I, I got along with my departments pretty well. So this is the fear I was talking about. You've got to have them. oversight of them. You've got to have oversight so of them and you've got to have control, control of them. That, that, that works. Because yes. the fear I've been hearing is that they're so radicalised and, and messed up now that even if you, Libs get back in, they're not going to control the bureaucracy who just outweigh your time. It, it would be hard. It would be, there would, would be need, there, you would need to have a number of changes, I think. Um, there's some that have just proven themselves to be, you know, unable to be relied on. I mean, if, yeah. you, if you take the hearings that we've had on face value... Mm you've got a whole bunch of senior people who, not that we believe all of this, who simply don't understand the their lines of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. They, and, the, and the inquiry. And the inquiry. So you've got a whole bunch of bureaucrats and statutory body leaders, um, such as Commissioner Crisp, yeah. who don't remember key things if you take them on their word, yeah. or do remember them and just refuse to yeah. take responsibility for them. So either of those two, in my opinion, would would preclude you from having a senior position going forward, right. who don't know their lines of accountability, yeah. who don't understand what their own responsibilities are, yeah. who aren't following the, priest, the the clauses in the various acts that say they have to do certain things. So 
of of those things, they're, they're either not doing them, and they should be, or they are doing them but are refusing to take responsibility for doing them in order to protect their political masters who will progressively throw them under a bus anyway. So, so it's out of fear that they're protecting Yeah, that's, that's my impression. I, th I think it's out of fear, yeah. Okay, all right. All right. So, uh, well, there's certainly no... I mean, has anyone seen a sense of public... Um, uh, uh, yes, but has anyone... In, in the hearings, have anyone connected to hotel quarantine or contact oh. tracing, has anyone seen any accountability from a bureaucrat? No, they just sort of do this. Yeah. So, they've, so they're either protecting their political masters or, or they're just incompetent. Yeah. I don't think they're incompetent. Yeah. I think they know what they're doing. I mean, I know okay. some of those senior okay. people and they're not yeah. incompetent. Okay. But if they, they are putting their... They're, they're putting their uh, loyalty to their political masters ahead of their loyalty to the people that they serve. Yeah, okay. All right, why don't we, why don't we en end by talking about something other than politics? Who are you besides a politician? <laughs> um, what are you interested in? What I, are you reading? What are you watching? I, I, I read a lot. I'm reading a book called Persuasion at the moment, which is oh. about priming people before you persuade yeah, them. Have you read that it? By? Yeah, um, yeah. Robert. He's uh, written a few books like yeah, that. Yeah, he wrote Influence. Yeah, I think I've read that one. Yeah, yeah. So that's quite interesting. So you learn how to manipulate us all. <laughs> It's about getting people in the right frame of mind to hear your message properly. Because it's a marketing uh, Yeah, it is. Tool. It's quite good. I've, I've read a lot of books like that. I like books on, on psychology. I like reading how people operate. Um, outside of that, I do gym and I run. Um, but my kids are very important to me, and I try to spend as much time with them as I possibly can. Do you know much about... Um, sorry, I don't know if you need to run. Can I talk to you a bit about psychology? Please. All right, psychology. Because you're interested in that? I'm only a self Self-interest person. Sam, I'm very interested though. Do you know about the uh, the big five? The um, you know, there's a lot of psychological model models running out, but there's only one that the psychological community agrees on: the big five of openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Yep. So, uh, do you know where you stand on where you <laughs> line up on those things? I'd like to think I'm I'm open I'm open to new ideas. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I think that that's. That's the. I mean, I've, I've, without coming through a formal education process, yeah. you can, you, you would run the risk of being quite close-minded on things because you haven't had that broader experience of, of learning. But I've, I like being open to new ideas, new ways of doing things. Okay. Um, I read a lot, and um, it's as I said, it's, it's used to be a lot of fiction. Now it's increasingly non-fiction, okay. more about about people and marketing and marketing in terms of just understanding why certain messages appeal to certain people and less about the manipulation but more about um, just why people listen to certain messages and not others yeah. um, and you know all different graphic demographics and different people listen to different things in different ways so if I want to get a message out to my community I want to I want them to be receptive to what I'm saying. It's very important for you. Yeah yeah, yeah. but not just as you know not from a, just a political point of view but if I've got I mean People are in these jobs with political parties behind them because they want to, you know, they believe a certain way is, is best and I can have that view as much as I want. But if, if you and, and my community doesn't understand why I think the way I do and why I think that the path I want to take them on is best for everyone as mm. more broadly, then I'm not doing my job. Well, the reason why I bring that the five, big five up is I find it interesting specifically with the trait of agreeableness, which has two sub-traits apparently, uh, compassion and politeness. And so they, the statistics in the US at least show that those on the left of politics, the progressives, 
are just as agreeable as the right wing, the conservatives. However, they rate very high in compassion and lower in politeness, whereas conservatives rate very high in politeness and low, slightly lower in compassion, which is why you get, for example, a left wing woke person screaming at you, tearing your throat out because you don't bleed, you don't care enough for, say, the refugees. Because their compassion is very high, but their politeness is very low. Yeah. And then yeah, yeah. For, for. So I'm, I'm wondering if we can kind of apply some of that psychology to the electorate uh, in, in the way we target, segment them, and then craft our messages. Well, that goes back to what I was saying, I think, about making sure people are receptive to your messages mm. um, and, and trying to get the environment in a circumstance where they are. Because at the moment, I mean, bizarrely, all the people on the left think they're right and mm. everyone else is terrible. And so do these people think exactly the same thing. So I think, you know, the starting point should be to talk about areas of commonality. Mm-hmm. That's that's where you get the start because, you know, in, in let's take Victorian politics just to, to use that as an example on this particular discussion. But, you know, I think both sides think we should have infrastructure that caters to the public's needs, mm-hmm. right? That's, that's our area of commonality. We all think it's that's, you know... They think you should borrow a stack of money and throw it and have cost overruns and everything. I'm characterising it from my point of view. And we think it should be done responsibly so that there's money for everyone down the track. But we never talk about those areas of commonality Mm. in politics and in in areas outside of politics. You often don't talk about that first. I like to take a position, and, and a lot of what I've read has helped me take this view, is, you know, I prefer a win win I prefer you walk away from a meeting mm. at a negotiation where everyone's got something. You know, if you smash the other person, then you've got an enemy for life who feels aggrieved and is probably going to be out to get you down the track or in mm. some way or badmouth you or whatever. Mm. You know, you want to go for a, a win-win situation at all times. And that's about crafting your message properly. It's making sure that the, the, the ground's been tilled to the point where people understand they're willing to listen to you, that they have a level of trust with you, to build a relationship before you start asking for things. You know, all those all those things will it will progress us much further than just yelling at each other will. Because so you talk politically or just culturally? Culturally, just so. politically, culturally, whatever. I mean, I haven't been swayed. I've had, you know, two dozen people from the other side of the chamber scream their opinion at me. It hasn't changed it. it hasn't yeah, changed my opinion. Big sook. Yeah, that's right. It's <laughs> <laughs> very becoming Dad. from the very becoming <laughs> from the. Our statesman, Dan statesman Andrews, right? Later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What did he say? Sit down, you sook? Yeah, yeah. Cause what I was, did you say to Oh, uh, I said he, he, he's, he uses question time to criticise us mm. a lot, which is mm. not... It's actually outside the, the rules of the parliament. He can't mm. use question time. So I just said to him, look, you, you may hold a higher office than me, mm. but you don't have any more right to be in this parliament than I do. So yeah, basically okay. pull your head in a bit. Yeah. And that's when he called me a sook, so... And then you got in the news. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's calling him out on his behaviour as well. I mean, he can be often, and particularly in the parliament, where people don't see him, somewhat of a bully. Mm. And, you know, you've got to tell a bully that he's a bully. Mm. A lot more. We're seeing it more and more through the media and the new media. We're seeing his bully tactics. Uh, okay, so you're going after that centre, I guess, the swinging. Uh, you don't agree with the Trumpism phenomenon where you just you double down, you trip it, you go full hard Sky News, just... I mean, even you know, sorry, Sky, but you just you just go, you really rally and divide and and. Well, you've got it. You, there's always an element of making sure your base believes you and and is on your side, and that you're you're not pandering to them, but that you share a commonality with them. Yeah. But um, you, you haven't really talked about it. your base. Seems to be like anyone who lives in the electorate. You don't seem well, very political to me. Well, that that's I'll take that as a compliment. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, 
But, you know, I do have core liberal values too. You know, I will talk about, I mean, in helping my electorate, I, it is about making things better. It is about um, helping people aspire to, to what they, you know, to better than what they have. It is about, you know, rallying together and getting things done. So I don't see operating in a way that's about individuals in my electorate as not being true to my party philosophy, which right. is is to be there for people, right. to help each other out, but don't unnecessarily burden them. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to come and tell you what to do. If you don't need my help, that's great. If you're getting on your own way, nice. you should know that I'm there for your help if you need it, but I don't need to impose a regulation on you or yeah. stop you from doing this, something yeah. or tell you that your kids should go to that school and not that school. You know, that's all your choice. I just should be there. I should be there to help you, but also to make you aware that I'm there for help. But there's also cultural warriors in liberal parties like Federal, yeah. like Craig Kelly. You don't seem like a cultural warrior out to convince anyone of anything. I, I do believe that as the Liberal Party is is labelled, you know, we're a broad church. Yeah. We, we attract all sorts of different people, and Menzies set it up like that. He set it up for all the, not disaffected, but the disparate groups mm. he brought together for one party to say, you know, this is a party where if you want to be, hence the term liberal, you know, if you mm. want to be progressive, if you want to have new ideas, if you want to bring um, debate into the party, this is the party for you. And, and I think that's... You know, I've got, we've got, you know, what they term small L green liberals in my party room. I've got, you know, full on right wingers in my party room too. But what I love about our party, and, and there's only been a very few occasions over my time where there's been a problem, very, very few. But in the main, we, if we're putting up bills for discussion or ideas for discussion, we have, we've had very robust discussions in the party room. That's the place for it. That's the place where I can be swayed by you know, a freedom of a speech argument or I can be swayed by, you know, don't bulldoze the trees down argument. Mm -hmm. There's a lot in my party room and it, I think our party room is a bit different to the federal one and I say that without being involved in the federal one but we have people whose views are not set in our party room. They do move. They get ideas. They're prepared to listen to each other in the main. Mm -hmm. They're all quite open. Yeah, I, I find them to be. Okay. I found, as I said, I found discussion to be quite robust but generally contained in the party room too. Okay. which I think is a real positive because you can't have a robust discussion if it's going to get leaked out. And in the main, we have these discussions, we arrive on a position that our party wants to take and we take it. All right. Do you have any advice to young people who might want to get involved in politics, but they've said to me, uh, both live and online, they feel like they might get wedged if they go into, say, Liberal Party, where you can only get into power if you're Liberal or Labor, but they feel like if they go independent, at least they'll be able to be honest because there must be some times where you've had to shut up and you have party discipline. Yes, and that goes back to what I was saying just a moment ago, is that there are the forums to put your case forward. I mean, at the end of the day, if I can't convince 51% of my party room with position, how am I going to convince the public? Yeah, you know, that's your starting point. You've got to, you've got to, if, let's say, if you're you know, completely philosophically about a particular idea and your party doesn't back it, well, maybe you pick the wrong party for a start. Okay. Maybe, I mean, Malcolm, I say to Malcolm. people... <laughs> well, maybe. But I say to people, you know, if you want to join a party, you want to vote for a party, look at what they stand for. If it aligns to what you believe in, if, if it resonates with you, then that's the party for you. If it doesn't, I mean, I had my one of my, um, maybe I shouldn't, <laughs> I had a Greens member who was who left the party, who was asked to leave the party because he basically said, if you guys aren't going to talk about um, economic solutions that are realistic, I mean, I, I, I'm with you on all this other stuff. Yeah. But if we're going to be credible, mm. then you've got to start talking about this. Now, his story is that they just said, you're, you're not for us. 
and he agreed at that point. And that's a good thing to do. Yeah. That's, well, yeah. yeah. So my 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 advice to anyone who wanted to to a young person who wanted to join us is, is look at each of the parties, work out which ones are actually yours. Yeah. Um, look past rhetoric and look at actually what's been done, what what the arguments are. Um, you know, and and then I don't think. There's not a lot of success for metropolitan independence. Yes. Um, country you might country. have a better idea, a better. It's a different sort of um, environment out there. Um, but you, I think you can find a party that resonates with you if you're sure. interested. Um, if a young person is interested, but I, I would also say a big part of why I like the Liberal Party is because I can I can put my view forward. So and, would you ever be wedged in the same way the Labor members, or I've contacted around this area of being wedged, because I've, I've gone to them and I've, I've spoken with them and they've, I can see it in their, not every single Labor Party member in, in Melbourne agrees that the 5K, no. road, this crazy, there's some of them that are itching to explode, yeah. but they just... Because their communities are going nuts at them. Yes. And I feel sorry for them because I'm hammering them saying, come on, this is ridiculous. And they're saying... We need to keep Victorians safe, <laughs> you know. And you yeah. just see the poor guy running the line. They're yeah, fully wedged. It, it is. It is hard. And, and I guess when you play on a team, you've got to you, you've got to be a team player, I suppose. When the party decides a certain way, then you've got to back it or resign or resign. And that's an option too. I mean, you you know, if you're on the front bench and you don't agree yeah. fundamentally with what your party's doing, then go to the back bench. Yeah. Did we miss it? That's it. That's all I got. That's I'm, all you got? I'm, I'm, ple I'm pleased to have you. Um, <laughs> no, it's great. I've, I've really enjoyed chatting. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, thank you for coming in, but also, more importantly, thank you for being a member in our electorate that I am gives me a bit of faith in politicians. Great. I'm pleased. That's a job it, done. It's not just li Labor as well. I've met some of the Liberal guys yeah. who are a bit like, oh, you're just here to be a poly, aren't you? But you're not. I, I appreciate it. So... Um, I was going to say vote this for this guy, but you, people vote for you like you wouldn't believe. You've been here for 16 oh, years. Well, You're fine. I hope so. Yeah, and never take anything for granted, that's for sure. Any predictions for 2021? 2020, oh, 2021. Uh, oh, I think it'll be tough economically. I think people are going to experience unemployment yeah. um, um, and there's got to be... We're going to have to be there to help a lot of people. I think from a from a community point of view, and I don't, I don't like it when politicians use the word community too much, yeah. but... Um, this is a real time. I, I, I hope the last year has made us not take a lot of things for granted, our time with our families and stuff. And again, that's not a glib statement, but whatever you've gained from understanding that you have friends and family that you weren't able to see and you end up wanting to, um, those people are going to need our support next year. And, you know, don't go back to a busy life, but keep an eye on your friends and family and make sure that if there are people with employment issues or mental health issues that you rally around them and don't ignore them because I think it's going to be a tough year going forward. Beautiful. Thank you, Ryan. There you have it. Uh, just like Ryan is saying, I, I'm so excited that he, he ended that way. Uh, the, as I've been saying a million times, the Premier's office, the government even doesn't set the tone of our community. It is us. It's the everyday interactions. It's the way we look after one another. And certainly in 2021, uh, I totally agree. We're going to have to look after each other. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's good fun. Yeah. Oh, gee. Aaron the corner. <laughs>